Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and our series for the season of Lent extending into Holy Week is called Rethinking Religion. You can read more about the series on the Foundation tab at wellscongregationalservices.net. Today, uh, our preachers are back who were with us last week and will be with us throughout the season of Lent. John Scharf from Abiding Grace in Covington, Georgia, and Pastor Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School in Milwaukee. Um, Phil, could we start with you? Could you comment briefly on the theme for this week in the Rethinking Religion series? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so this is second Sunday in Lent last week, uh, first Sunday in Lent, always the temptation of our Lord. And we thought about rethinking trials and tests and temptations. And uh, one question related to that that we thought about was, you know, why does it seem like we face these things, but other people maybe don't? Or why is it difficult to follow the Lord? And I suppose that this week is closely related to that as we are rethinking suffering under the cross with Jesus' famous words about taking up the cross to follow him. And so similar questions, um, why is it difficult to be a Christian? If God is such a great God and a loving God, why wouldn't it be easy? Why wouldn't he make life easier for us? So the big question to rethink today is what it means to suffer under the cross as we follow Christ. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, just altering our perspective as we did last week, uh, similar in some ways, I think this week's theme to last week, but that idea of the cross, very prominent, especially uh, as we'll be discussing today. Uh, John, before we get to the gospel of the day in Mark 8, could you remind us of what the first and second readings are for this Sunday and how they uh, interconnect? Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with the second reading. You know, as we as always take our cue from the gospel and the theme Phil just described, rethinking that suffering, Paul lays out the proper frame of thought. All that he says about it starts with the fact that we've been justified by faith, so we have peace with God, which means we look at suffering not as something from an angry God, but from the God who loves us and has made us his. So we rejoice, even if he chooses to give us suffering, a cross, because he's doing something through that. He's developing us, strengthening us. And you get that that great progression in there. You know, suffering produces perseverance as we learn to deal with our crosses. And that perseverance develops who we are, our character. And that character teaches us hope, the certain hope guaranteed by the Holy Spirit in us. God saved us. Of course, he's letting this stuff happen for our good. And if you want a great example of it, you look at our first reading. Look at Job. If you're thinking about suffering in the Bible, it's hard not to think of Job. Uh, from his perspective, all this stuff just happened, right? Rapid fire. As one messenger is talking, the next one comes with even worse news. He wasn't there in that angel's reporting session when, when they met with God and Satan challenged Job's faithfulness. Job didn't know why any of this was happening. He just got the news that his animals were stolen, his crops destroyed, his children dead. Whether he knew it or not, he was suffering a cross, a result of his being a faithful believer. And that cross strengthened him. It drove him to worship. It built his character as he was able to remember who his God was in all this. He remembered that all his wealth was from God so he could be at peace knowing it wasn't really his anyway. And, and his responsibility for it was now done. And, and, and God loves us and is deserving of praise. Whether we have stuff or not, we have him. You talk about a very different way to think about losses than our world is used to. So I think these, these readings definitely... Uh, uh, mix with this gospel uh, really well. 
Yeah, thank you for that uh, summary and setting things in the context of the lectionary for us. Let's go to our sermon text then, Mark 8, 31 to 38. Phil, could you get our discussion started? Just highlight anything you think might be uh, valuable for preachers. Sure, would love to. Um, so we're jumping forward quite a bit in time now from, of course, the temptation of our Lord last week all the way now into Mark chapter 8. And uh, context, uh, very famously, just before this, Jesus asked his disciples who people say he is. And then you have uh, the confession of Peter, you are the Christ or you are the Messiah. Um, and so one of these moments that sticks out, uh, again, so famously to us about Peter with the roller coaster ride of faith, where he has this great confession and then this um, horribly stupid and foolish thing to say that we can all relate to because we we have sinful natures, too, that 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 fall and take our focus and our eyes off of Christ. Uh, so that's our, our context as we're walking into this now. And uh, I'll just say for the preacher out there, there's lots of great commentaries to read on these verses. Um, I spent some time reading in Professor Deutschlander's book, Your Kingdom Come, Commentary on St. Mark. And boy, he has a lot of good stuff. I think maybe a dozen plus pages just on this text. And I, I really um, took some words from him in the beginning that he broke it down into two sections, that, that this text um, in the first part is really the whole core of the Christian faith. And the second part is the core of the Christian life. And so just to expound on that for a minute, um, the first two verses there, Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be killed and rise again. That is the whole sum of the whole Bible. And in fact, uh, he even went so far as to say, um, all of the Bible comes to this point, that the Christ, the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again. Um, and then I guess the English helps us out a little bit, breaking it up into paragraphs better than the Greek, um, starting then at verse 34, is really the whole Christian life, that as we follow this Christ, uh, the Son of Man who suffered and died and rose for us, whoever wants to follow after him must take up their cross. Um, so just kind of those general thoughts, I thought that made a lot of sense and really, to me, helped break down the text a little more. Mm -hmm. And I'll make one little comment before then I pass it off to both of you, John and John. Um, and that is the the critical little word, the die, that, that is necessary, uh, that he must. Um, this is exactly what he came to do. And any thoughts of, no, Jesus, you shouldn't suffer. I don't want you to die that Peter had rolling around in, in his brain. He was just so far off on what Jesus um, came for and came to do, which is why there's the whole, you know, get behind me, Satan thing, because that just comes from the devil. That is not at all the purpose of why Jesus is here or what was necessary for him to do. And so connecting to that second paragraph, then, just as it was ne necessary for Christ to suffer and, and to have the cross. So now also, if we follow him, it is necessary for us. If someone follows after me, verse 34, right? If someone should want to, then let that person do this. Take up a cross and follow me. Um, so the necessity of each and the one, our cross, follows after the necessity of his cross. Great. Yeah, the uh, the die applies, right, to Christ and to the Christian. Um, John, would you like to pick it up from there and add some thoughts on uh, how to approach this text or insights for preachers? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, I, 
been really excited to get back to to year B to be able to use that that uh, commentary. It wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't around first time or last time I preached through year B. So um, yeah, Phil did a great job describing just some wonderful stuff in there. Definitely time well spent. And that that word die was the one that that jumped out at me as well. You know, this is what it means to to be a Christ uh, or to be the Christ. And and then just you know. In Mark, of course, it's sandwiched in between what Phil described of Peter's confession of the Christ, uh, and then what comes next, the transfiguration. Six days later, he takes him up on the mountain, and and he shows them, um, you know, th- this paradox, right? The, the one who, yeah, has to suffer and die. Uh, and, and I think as we, where we are in the church year, that's still fresh in the minds of the hearers, that, that that's a real easy uh, um, connection there to make. Uh, another thing, the, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the necessary for the Christian. I always like, you don't see it all that often, but those cool third person imperatives, you know, it, it's, uh, do it. Um, and we're not used to having third person imperatives, but he has to, uh, it, it, it's a must let him deny himself, take mm-hmm. up his cross, follow me. Uh, you get the, in the first section, the, uh, the contrast, of thinking the things of God versus thinking the the things of man, as we're talking about this uh, rethinking religion, um, rethinking what drives my decisions. E- even as a Christian, um, it's really, really easy to get in with the flow of life and just, uh, um, well, my decisions are based on what, how everybody else does it, right? But, but this is this is rethinking that. Um, you know, with, uh, last week, week being rethinking the trials and tests, um, you know, this, this is more focusing on the, the Christian life, just seeing that it has the cross as the key difference there. Um, and as far as text, I think I'll, I'll pause there, see if you got anything to add. No, that's great insights also. Uh, so as I think about, just law and gospel themes in this text. Um, the one that jumps out to me is get behind me, Satan, right in the middle. Uh, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men are not just not the concerns of God, but human concerns only. Um, so kind of the, uh, the what I would tend to point to as uh, the sin issue in the text is pushing the cross away. Um, and for Peter, it was, first of all, pushing the cross away from Jesus. Um, but then Jesus said, you know, kind of implies here's another temptation. It's to push it away from yourself as a follower of Jesus. Um, so any thoughts on on that or law themes in the text in addition to that, Phil? Yeah, I'll I'll pick up on that and what your great comments are from both of you here. Um, and just dive into the text a little more with verse 32. Um, so just before that, um, you know, Peter, I don't know what he was expecting to do. He crossed Lombano. He kind of took him over to the side and maybe kind yeah. of a quiet thing. And there's the, uh, Peter began to epitimon. Epitimao is like rebuke, re- reprove, censor. I'm reading out of the B-Dag here a little bit, uh, you know, um, to warn. So he's rebuking him like, Jesus, what are you doing here? This is not supposed to be, uh, you know, you shouldn't think like this or whatever that rebuke sounded mm-hmm. like. Um, and how easy is it for us to epitimao with Jesus? Um, 
you can think about any suffering in life. Uh, why this cancer, Lord? Why this disaster? Why this tragedy? But you can think more specifically about the Christian cross. Why am I suffering and being persecuted at faith? Um, why is it so hard for me to bear this personal temptation or sin that I wrestle with? Uh, why is it so hard to put my focus on you so often in my life to remember my prayer and devotional life? And we we, we want to kind of rebuke Jesus for that. Like, wh why are you letting this happen, Lord? Um, and so I think it's very easy for us to get into that us to use the um, the coming word here, right? Um, you're having in mind, you're thinking about um, earthly things versus God things. I think it's interesting that um, the same word is used. So he took him to, Peter took Jesus to the side and did this um, epitomao. And then Jesus looked at him and his disciples, the rest of them, and he epitomason right back. Uh, he, you know, he rebuked him using the same word. Um, and uh, reading Deutschlander, as we said this week, he picked up on that a little bit that, um, you know, why wouldn't Jesus just privately say, um, well, it's funny you say that, Peter, but, you know, why don't you just watch and see how this all plays out? Or, you know, you'll learn later. Uh, but no, this was satanic. This this was from the devil to try and stop Jesus, to have in mind worldly things. And so he took it to the next level of rebuking Peter in front of the disciples. And then next paragraph, he called the whole crowd together that was there, not just the disciples, and said, if you're going to follow after me, this is what it involves, the cross. Um, so I just think there's a lot to take from those little words in the in the text here. Right. Right. John, uh, anything to follow up yeah. on there as far as... Absolutely. Great, great stuff there. Um, as you were talking, I had like three things I was going to say, and then I thought of the next and the next. So I'm I'm forgetting all of them now, but but may, maybe even looking at a, a, another angle at the malady here. Um uh, not just um not just that, but but avoiding the cross. Uh, you know, not not being different from the neighbor who has more time because they don't commit as much time to church. You know, there's that, I think it was Franzman. Um, who had the comment about uh, about the the verse where um, whoever wants to save his life for me will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And he makes the comment that boy, uh, we're willing to do it for a whole lot less than the whole world. Um, you know the uh, uh, yeah. the lust of the flesh, and how long does that does that pleasure last once it's over? Or or money? Um, you know the what what does it give you? You you spend all this time getting it, um, yeah, selling the soul and selfishness or bitterness and relationships, holding the grudge, making sure they pay. What what do you get out of that? Um, nothing. Uh, a very empty, empty pursuit when we're when we're trying to avoid the cross, when we're trying to think the things of man instead of the things of God. Right, Phil. I just want to jump in and say that maybe. This is a good time for the preacher to go off those awesome thoughts from John and um, just think about how Peter learned this the hard way. I mean, so many times, but not long after this, um, you talk about literally trying to save your life um, outside of Jesus' trial. And he's talking to the young lady and he's denying the Lord, probably trying to protect himself or he's scared and all that. Like, you know, we have these ideas, these worldly thoughts that we're trying to save our life, so to speak. Um, in this case, maybe literally, and uh, he gained absolutely nothing but a whole lot of guilt from doing that. Yeah, it's fascinating just to focus on Peter a little bit or follow through with his story in that way um, that uh, um, 
to have Jesus speak to him so clearly in front of everybody, uh, and yet it maybe didn't sink in, uh, not yet, because he's still doing the same thing, making the same mistake. But of, of course, every one of us can relate to that. Um, Jesus says things quite clearly, and uh, we are super slow to uh, to pick up on what he's saying or to put those words into practice. Um, well, question then would be, um, what about gospel in this text? I mean, it's all pretty dark, um, but you do have Jesus talking about some important things that we could point to maybe. How do you approach that in this text, uh, John? Yeah, I mean, I think the the cure is that Jesus says it is necessary, right? Mm -hmm. He took the cross to pay our failures. He was willing to when he was rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of law. Instead of getting along with the world, he was killed and he rose for us. Yeah, I think you read that and Peter's even response to it. No, no, no. Um, he said he was going to rise. Uh, and and I think we we mm -hmm. sometimes miss that. You know, this is this isn't just a death. This is a death and resurrection, and and it's there's there's good news there. You know, giving comfort for people who are bearing their crosses, and and giving courage to to face those that come, because Jesus understood that His was necessary. Right, uh, and that yeah, that communicates such love too that He would say it in that way. Um, that He does not view this as anything other than something he must do driven by love for Peter, for the disciples, for all of us, for the world, right? Uh, additional uh, gospel thoughts. Uh, Phil? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep picking up on that. It is necessary. It seems to be a theme that's sticking out for us. Um, the cross in a sinful world is necessary in both paragraphs and is necessary for us and for Jesus. The difference that John highlighted so well is that he was the one that was willing and able to do it. Right. I mean, we, we have our crosses to bear, too, but Jesus is the one that literally had to to pay for the, um, us when we can't do it and won't do it. But he's the only one who is also able to do that, to do it so perfectly. And we see that here, um, not only in those words, you know, death and resurrection, that he fulfilled that. But we see that with his singular focus on his mission um, and the singular willingness to take up the cross and to immediately rebuke worldly thoughts. I mean, how easy would the temptation be for him just to stumble a little bit and think, you know, Peter, that's actually not a bad idea. This, this suffering doesn't sound so good. Um, you know, no, it's an immediate rebuke. Um, so again, you have like the, the perfect substitute with focus on the mission and the cross. And then you have in those words, um, the perfect substitute who paid for the sin with the suffering, death and resurrection too. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. John. And as Phil was talking, he reminded me again, one of, one of those thoughts, you know, when, Last week with the temptation, if you read the other accounts, um, you see the devil left him for an opportune time. Uh, here we're seeing this temptation, right? Uh, devil coming back saying, here, take the easy way. Um, you don't have to go through all of this. Uh, but this time he's coming through the, the lips of a friend. And uh, um, Jesus, of course, perfect in our place, caught that too and and met that temptation head on and and then went ahead and and explained how important it is that he do exactly what he had to do um yeah yeah i noticed that too since this is so uh close in our rearview mirror the account of the temptation uh just last week uh why does jesus 
refer to Peter as Satan, it's because he's heard this before, something mm-hmm. really similar, and that's where uh, filth. Um, well, I was just going to say this made me think, and um, John, you do such a great job facilitating all these podcasts and asking the questions. So I want to ask a question back to both of you guys. Uh, so how much do you think, how much time would you guys spend on this text thinking about the second half? Of course, there's the the cross that you know it's necessary for us to bear, to follow Jesus and all that. But how much would you guys flesh out in a sermon, you know, the blessings that come from doing that and God's greater plan and we can't see it in the moment, but later on it comes to fruition. You know, would you spend all of your time, say 75% of the sermon on this whole Jesus aspect and how he willingly, you know, took up the cross and later went to the literal cross. Um, So how would you balance, I guess I'm saying the two paragraphs of Christ and his cross versus us and um, the cross that we have to bear in the second paragraph. Yeah. John, do you have it all figured out? Um, Um, I've got some words to say, but don't don't think that means wisdom. (laughs) Whatever Um, thoughts you have to share would be great. Yeah. So I I look back at at previous times I preached on that, and um, one of them I spent more time uh, on that third part. That you know what what it looks like for for the Christian. I think you mean you you need the highlight to be on Jesus willingness the the necessity um i i came across the uh an illustration um there's that poster uh world war ii winston churchill with um with just the the word underneath it uh, you cut the coal i don't know if you're familiar with that story churchill giving a speech to uh to coal miners during world war ii um you know showing how important their dirty work was morale was low, all of that. And, and he goes through, you know, painting the the picture of a family gathering years after the war and, and the children asking, you know, what did you do in the great war grandpa? And he said, some would say, well, you know, I was a fighter pilot taking on the German Luftwaffe. Another would say I was in the submarine service, keeping our seas safe or, you know, someone boasting about their, their work in the army. But he said, you, you will say, I was deep in the earth with my face to the coal. I fueled the ships and moved the supplies. I cut the coal. Um, you know, never had coal mining seem so glamorous. Uh, but he made him realize it wasn't about the coal mining. It was being part of something so much bigger. Um, we can really easily complain about the crosses in our lives, but understanding that they are part of something so much bigger, um, it's the cross of Christ. Uh, and, and the crosses that God allows us to bear to accomplish the great things, you know, and, uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm just kind of mm-hmm. flushing that that idea out as maybe a, a an illustration that that I'll use. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I mentioned the previous times I've done uh, real simple: take up your cross, one deny self, two follow me. I've done, uh, it's all about the cross. Christ's is redemptive. Ours is constructive. Uh, and then the the necessary cross, uh, part one, Peter said, avoid. Uh, part two, Jesus said, die. And then you have both parts of that die. The It is necessary and uh, die to the things of this world um, mm-hmm. as, you're, as you're following him. Uh, so I don't know if I answered your question, Phil, yeah. but you said a lot of words to say. Yeah, that's no, that's great. Uh, I was asking if you had it figured out, John, because I I haven't, and every time I approach this text, it's hard to decide, right? What right. what to focus on, because 
we want to put, of course, Christ in the spotlight and his work. And that, you know, uh, tilts me toward the first part of the text. But that second part is so important, too, uh, as Professor Deutschlander broke it down. Um, this is a summary of the Christian life. And so uh, th this is critical. We, I don't want to give it short shrift either. Um, right. So I, I think uh, that's a good way to go about it. Just the necessity um, of Christ's cross that he bear his and the necessity of our crosses that that we bear ours. Um, but yeah, I like to have uh, emphasized the positives of that, John, the uh, blessings that flow from that. And I think maybe um, a connection you could make, you, although, you know, you don't want to spend too long in it because it is so full of richness itself, is that Romans 5 reading, um, the, the verses where Paul says, you know, that suffering through it, God can bring these positive things, this growth uh, in Christian life. Um, so that that might be an angle, too, to kind of uh, flesh out or to give a different perspective on those latter verses of the text here in Mark 8. Just the, yeah, the constructive nature of carrying the cross. Uh, John, to that? Yeah, and, and uh, I had starred, you know, a, a passage that, that might make its way in, you know, when the disciples in Acts 5 um, they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name, mm -hmm. um, tying into that, that Romans five, well, it's a good thing. And, and maybe just to throw something out there, another Franzman quote, um, kind of going back a little bit to what we were talking about, but faith meant the surrender of any attempt at mastering Christ or at mastering God. And it meant more than that. It meant positively thinking the thoughts and willing the will of God. So that was just something to add to what we talked about before. So you can rewind and listen mm -hmm. to that and uh yeah yeah that's excellent uh uh phil additional thoughts or did, did that give you some something to think about oh, that was great I, had, I i wrestle with it too and um i was looking back as well and i was surprised i actually have not preached on this text a lot in fact the last time i did was like 550 sermons ago which was crazy um so in other words earlier in my ministry uh, i preached on it once vicar year and i kind of revised it maybe in the third or something like that year of my ministry. Uh, not so happy with the sermon. <laughs> um, but I, I went with, you know, having in mind the things of God through self-denial and stuff denial, you know, mm -hmm. so denying the stuff and then uh, of this world and also my my own personal things. But I just wanted to maybe go down that avenue for a little bit because I think it would be good for us to talk about this for the preacher and, well, for me as well, um, as a preacher to understand a little more. I, I think sometimes... Christianity has a misunderstanding of what we mean by the cross. And um, I think that's, isn't that kind of, kind of a colloquial common phrase we say, you know, like something bad happens or maybe you have arthritis. Well, that's just my cross to bear. People say something like that. Um, but I think um, going off what you guys said, this is where my mind is going now, um, going off what you guys just said, there needs to be a lot of focus also on that one phrase of not just the taking up the cross, but the deny yourself. And I think really that's the root core, isn't it? What it's not just worldly things, um, take up the cross and leave behind world. You know, Peter had in mind worldly things. Well, Peter had in mind worldly things because it was what was in his heart and his his mind, first of all, you know. So the denial of self, um, John Scharf, what would you just say, quoting Franzman, the having in mind the the will of God, that your will is the will of God or something like that, right? Uh, Thinking the thoughts and willing the will. That's what it is, right? I mean, yeah. and that's what kind of the denying self comes down to how do I have the words and the will of God in my heart and mind? And how do I line that up? And the challenge of the cross 
to bear is that it's not about me. It's about Christ. Mm -hmm. And to set aside all my desires, uh, my pleasures um, that are not godly, um, you know, to fight off temptation and my sinful nature. Um, so anyways, I'm just kind of going in circles around um, that concept of cross and self-denial and interested in what you guys might think about that as well. Uh, yeah, I've often described the cross in the, the narrower sense here as, yeah, sacrificing things that might be more comfortable, that might be more enjoyable, giving those things up because I want to follow Jesus and stay loyal to him. And then, you know, also accepting uh, or going accepting suffering or going down a road that is more painful because I want to be loyal to Jesus. Uh, I don't know if that might work as a definition um, of the cross in the narrower sense. John? Yeah, Lemsky writes, the wicked have many sorrows, but no crosses. The cross is that suffering alone, which results from our faithful connection with Christ. Mm -hmm. I've always appreciated that uh, um, that definition there. Yeah. So maybe as an overall purpose of the sermon, uh, the preacher might think of, yeah, embracing the cross, um, uh, highlighting that uh, in the Savior as the the culmination of the Savior's work, although yet he does mention, as John pointed out before, the resurrection is here too. I mean, it's the whole uh, the whole plan to complete his work, um, and then embracing the cross uh, in our lives as his followers too, um, which, you know, the whole thing is counterintuitive, right? Uh, the cross is repulsive, it's repugnant. I'm sure Professor Deutschlander says that. Um, I think maybe of other places he's written that. Um, but yeah, we're called on to uh, draw near to that thing, which would seem to repel us from it, uh, because that's where life is, right? Life because of Christ's cross, our life as followers too. Um, here's a, an interesting thought, um, just as in terms of structuring the sermon, um, if you've ever kind of uh, gone down the road of, um, you know, trying to tell the the sermon as a story or really bring out the story elements. I always thought it would be interesting to kind of start with um, get behind me, Satan, and just flesh out the picture of Satan's, uh, or excuse me, Peter standing there totally stunned, um, having just been called Satan in front of all the other disciples by Jesus and how crushed that must have made him feel. And then go there and kind of flash back, you know, how did we get here? Uh, and maybe even go before the text, you know, to that high point in his life where he confesses Christ uh, and then leading into our text, here's what Jesus said. And, you know, here's kind of Peter's thought process. Um, you know, this, there's no way this can be right. This must be a mistake. Jesus needs to be set straight. Um, you know, he'll thank me later that I, you know, steered him in a different direction. And then coming back to that, get behind me, Satan. Um, and hearing Jesus' explanation for it, and then kind of moving yeah into the the gospel thoughts, the the die, the necessity of him going to the cross uh, and coming back from death, uh, and then kind of what it means then now Peter learning that and us starting to learn it too uh, to follow him and embrace the cross. So uh, yeah, just a thought. I thought that might be interesting. I haven't done it that way yet, but I thought that might be fun to uh, just do that start right at this critical moment and then kind of flash back and, and come back. John? 
I suppose you could talk about uh, you know going into the next verses after the text and the the fact that so often we don't learn the first time, right? I mean, because Peter, hey, we should stay here, and she's like, no, we got yeah. we got to go back down. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah, he's still Peter is still drawn in the Transfiguration mm-hmm. episode to the the idea of glory. Let's just let's just stick with the glory uh, and avoid everything else, Phil. Um, and even before that, in chapter nine, verse one, I think in the the commentary by Deutschlander that we keep referring to, he included that in this section, mm-hmm. uh, chapter nine, verse one, um, because he's still talking to the crowd. And then he said, truly, I tell you, some standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So just, you know, thinking about the end game of the ultimate cross, the bear uh, of tasting death, but the glory that comes you know, on the other side of that, being with him in his eternal kingdom. Um, so, yeah, that, I think there's a lot of illustration there. I mean, isn't isn't Peter really just illustrative of this whole concept throughout his mm-hmm. entire life that we see in yeah. Scripture? And and just how, I guess, what comes to mind with your get-behind-me-Satan emphasis, uh, John, is just how tricky that stupid devil is, you know? I mean, and with Peter, we see in the high points of faith, the devil is just right on his heels, you know, I mean, he's walking on water with eyes fixed on Jesus and boom, the next second, you, you know, he's sinking and it's you of little faith. Um, he's um, here confessing the Christ and on this confession, the church is going to be built and boom, next thing you know, he's identified with Satan. And then again, next chapter, you know, wow, you're in the glorious presence of God on the Mount of Transfiguration, but ah, misplaced attention and focus there, which no, we got to go down this mountain, Peter, because there's something yet coming. And it just reminds me again, how quickly Satan works, even in our highest moments of faith, to try and take that away from us and take our eyes off Christ and his cross. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Well, anything further for preachers that you're reflecting on or uh, thinking about? Any, uh, we've given some theme ideas or suggestions, um, talked about uh, how to approach the text. Anything further you've got? Um, If not, let's wrap it uh, for today. Uh, Turn things over to preachers now to continue their work on preaching this text. Um, Yeah, may uh, you preachers be blessed through the message of the cross as you soak it in um, through your study and preparation, and then as you proclaim the love of Jesus seen in his cross and ours too.